Hello and welcome to Pediapod for May 2019. This month, in vivo textural analysis of the placenta in fetal growth restriction. Placental dysfunction is a leading cause of morbidity and mortality in children. Yet, despite its central importance, there's a lack of tools to assess in vivo placental health. Ex vivo evaluation of placentas has shown there to be chronic inflammatory changes and vascular injury associated with fetal growth restriction. But currently, there are no tools to assess these sorts of microarchitectural changes before birth. In this episode, I spoke with this month's early career investigator, Professor Nikki Anderscavage from George Washington University. She recently performed an advanced textural and morphometric analysis of magnetic resonance images of the in vivo placenta in healthy and high-risk pregnancies. As we begin to explore what is the placenta doing in utero, it's more than just providing blood flow and oxygen to the baby. It's a gatekeeper for all sorts of things. In part, it's nutritive, of course. It provides nutrition and oxygen to the developing fetus but it also has important anti-inflammatory properties to protect the fetus from infection, but also from inflammation when things are going well. And it's also a critical endocrine organ where it actually synthesizes its own hormones that support the baby and the baby's brain. What I'm studying now is not the sudden and acute problems that can happen with a placenta, like an acute infection or acute injury and abruption but trying to understand the more subtle problems of placental development that can impact fetal well-being and a better understanding how that placenta is interfacing between the maternal health and the fetus's development um, and how it can be influenced. Given the placenta's central role in fetal development, are we pretty good at assessing the early health of a placenta? Most of what we understand of its function and its health is assessing it after it's had its useful life, so to speak. Um, after the baby's delivered and the placenta's delivered, it's been examined and, and described quite extensively by histopathology and pathology examinations. We don't really have tools to assess placental function and development in utero very well. This sounds like a good time to introduce the topic of your paper, which you've just published in Pediatric Research, which essentially highlights a technique that you've used to do exactly that, to look at the early placenta uh, across healthy and high-risk pregnancies. There have been a number of studies that have used ultrasound techniques to try to describe placental development in utero, both in healthy and high-risk pregnancies. But ultrasound is limited by the maternal body habitus, and it's also hard to capture the entire placenta in a single image. It's primarily, ultrasound is primarily a 2D technique. MRI is helpful because it can overcome some of those basic limitations. With ultrasound, though, and with pathology reports, we do know that the placenta is an organ that changes over time. It becomes more microvascularly complex. It grows certainly in size and shape. And we know that this microarchitecture becomes more complex with healthy pregnancies as you get closer to term. And it's known that in growth restriction, when there's placental insufficiency, some of those micro 
textural changes, um, those tissue changes are not as robust as they should be, and the vascular changes aren't as robust as they should be. So we've seen at the end of the pregnancy, after the baby's been delivered, that that development can go awry. Um, but again, the limitation has been to date that you don't see that until after the baby's been born and the placenta can be examined more closely. So in this study then, you used MRI images essentially to have a look at that microarchitecture, the sort of texture and the overall morphology, the shape of the placentas across these two groups. Correct. So what the textural analysis technique, what it does, it's a... It's a way where an image, a grayscale image, like an MRI, can be decomposed to its most elemental pieces, in this case a a voxel, which is the three-dimensional cube that we acquire for the, that make up the image as a whole. And as the computer decomposes the image, each voxel, each cube, gets assigned a, a value, and then that information can get decomposed so you can describe the overall grayscale appearance in a very objective way. And you can also give it um, three-dimensional patterns. Is this particular square or cube that you're interested in very similar to its neighbors, or is it very different? The more similar they are to their neighbors, the more symmetry there is, the more homogeneity it is. And what we are interpreting that is the more simple the tissue. You mentioned those results from previous uh, pathological studies. I'm, I'm assuming that you were expecting to see some differences between the placentas of the fetal, fetal growth restriction group and the healthy group. Did you, and what were they? Yeah, we were actually able to not only see group differences, but also to see changes over time. So we do know the healthy placenta becomes more complex over time, and the microstructure becomes more complex over time. And in our healthy pregnancies, this technique, this texture analysis was able to describe that there is a progressive change in texture um, or image analysis that would correspond to tissue complexity that happens as the pregnancy advances um, close to term. And then what we were able to see is that in the fetus that is growth restricted, If you were to match them at the same gestation to their healthy peers or healthy counterparts, there are group differences, not only in overall shape and size, which we know that again in placental insufficiency, the overall shape and size tends to be smaller, but on the microstructural scale, we are able to describe differences in how the placenta um, matures in a growth-restricted pregnancy compared to a healthy pregnancy. And essentially, it's an abnormal acceleration of maturation that happens in the growth-restricted pregnancy. So in a sense, the placenta is aging prematurely in the growth-restricted pregnancy compared to its healthy counterpart. This was a proof of concept that you can go in very early in vivo and assess these different characteristics of the placenta. Armed with this knowledge, what can be done for at-risk mothers in the future if you do see early signs of placental dysfunction using this technique? This is a great question. I think there's a lot of promise to um, use this technique to, one, better identify those women who are at high risk than just using ultrasound alone. Um, And that's actually the second phase of the study that we're doing now. Now what we're doing is um, just enrolling prospectively uh, high-risk women with normal growth parameters 
and following them through delivery in order to see if this imaging technique can predict those that will go on to develop growth restriction either during pregnancy or delivery in a broader group population. There are, meanwhile, a number of trials that are ongoing that are aimed at augmenting placental function. And so the hope would be as, you know, the MFM and obstetric community continues to refine potential therapies for placental insufficiency, this technique could, one, identify the women that are most at risk for developing problems before the baby is affected, but then also once you institute a potential therapy, uh, reassess to see the impact of that therapy while the woman is still pregnant and hopefully still has more time for interventions than just waiting until delivery and the potential for, you know, a compromised fetus, either because they're born early or born small. Is, is cost going to be an issue in terms of having, getting mothers into MRI machines? It certainly requires more resources than ultrasound alone, but the hope would be that we would be much more targeted in the population that actually needs these types of assessments. Um, and ultimately, If we can improve the fetal development so that babies are not being born early or growth restricted, then some of those costs and resources will be offset because we're then decreasing the costs associated with a prolonged NICU stay. That was Nikki Anders-Skavage from George Washington University. And that's it for this month. Join us again next time for the next edition of Pediapod. I'm Jeff Marsh and thanks for listening.